there and welcome to the Women in Confidence podcast where we get to explore the stories and insights of remarkable women who found their path to success, happiness and fulfillment. I'm your host Vanessa and I'm thrilled that you've joined me for another episode but if you're here for the first time welcome to the show and I have lots of great episodes for you to listen so go and check out wherever you listen to your podcasts. But before I introduce this week's guest, I just want to make an announcement that during October of this year, I'm going to be running a Women in STEM month. So that is Women in Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths. And that's going to be going on throughout the whole of October. Why? Because I currently work for a STEM organization and the women who work there are freaking awesome. They're super intelligent. They're literally changing the world and they just need a mention and the airtime to shout about what they do. So the episodes will also help women who are curious about working in STEM and they don't know what kind of roles are available. And also, if you're a parent to a girl and you think STEM is a route for her to take, you know, she's great at science, she really enjoys it, perhaps she's amazing at maths. Then also these episodes will help you get a better understanding of the way my guests got into their careers and the choices they made. And you can then advise your daughter on her next steps. And I just think the more information girls can have about careers in STEM, the the better informed they're going to be and they'll make some great career choices. So I've already got some great guests lined up, but I want to load October up with a whole load of episodes. So this is where I need your help. If you're a woman who currently works in STEM, or you know an awesome woman who would be a great guest, then please reach out to me on contact at vanessa-murphy.com. All right, so this week we've got a very special guest joining us. It's Jessica Weiss. Jessica has dedicated the last 15 years of her life to researching, understanding, and spreading the importance of happiness. And she's spoken to literally thousands of people, inspiring them to find more joy and satisfaction in their personal and their professional lives. Jessica is a sought-after speaker and consultant, and she's worked with brands which you'll know for sure, such as Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, and American Express. She's an organizational leadership expert, and she knows what it takes to create happier workplaces and to foster environments where employees thrive. With her wealth of experience in leadership, culture, and organizational development, Jessica is a trusted source for those seeking tangible, research-based strategies to boost employee engagement and and satisfaction. So let's get ready to delve into Jessica's journey, her insights, and the lessons she's learned along the way. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to Women in Confidence, and thank you very much for joining me today. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. I'm excited to be here. So before we press record, uh, Jessica was just saying she's in New York, and it's incredibly hot over there. So and you are now, you're still on Thursday while I'm on Friday. So, yeah, thank yes. you for joining me um, in a hot New York day. Um, I really appreciate <laughs> your time. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm happy to be inside and in air conditioning. So anything, anything that gets me out of the heat, I'm happy to do it. Cool. Well, let's get on with the podcast. And how I like to open the session, Jessica, is it, it gets us into the theme of confidence. It gets us confident in talking, warming up our vocal cords, but what does having confidence mean to you? So having confidence um, means to me, I think the first thing is it's around making promises and commitments to myself and then following through on those commitments. So that's like the thing that sort of bolsters my confidence. And then for me, at the same time, I think that feeling confident, right? Those feelings of confidence is being able to overcome the anxiety, the nerves, the worry, and still do whatever it is that I have to do. So it's not necessarily an absence of those feelings, but it's the ability to work alongside those feelings. 
And those feelings of, you know, sort of like anxiousness, the worry, um, having nerves, is that something that you have? Do you ever find yourself feeling those anxiety and worry and nerves? Or, and how do you overcome that when you notice those surfacing? I absolutely have those all the time. And I do a lot of public speaking. And to be frank, I feel like I'm certainly not one of those speakers who says they don't get nervous. I get nervous every single time. Um, the only thing that, that I hope that happens when I speak is that I'm, you know, it's sort of that one minute of nerves and then it sort of goes away. So I deal with nerves and anxiety all the time. The best thing that I do is, um, and this is, I actually got this from a book. I'm sure you read this book. Did you read Ethan Cross's book called Shatter? I might have done. It's probably on my shelf just up there, actually. Okay. It's a fabulous book because it's all around how you control those voices in your head. And I find that for me, the anxiety is often those voices like, oh, you're not going to be able to do it. This is going to be horrible, whatever it is, right? That ongoing voice. So in that book, he details a way to overcome those annoying voices that can kind of drown out the good stuff. And he says to speak to yourself in the third person. So I kind of do an inner dialogue and I hope to God that no one's watching me when I do it. And I hope to God that my lips are not moving, but I sort of calm myself down in a third person kind of way. So Jessica, you've done this before. You've been here before. You're going to be fine. Take a few deep breaths. You know, I sort of the way you would speak to somebody else, but I do it to myself and it kind of somehow magically like takes the anxiety to like, out of my body, so to speak, right? It becomes this like third object in the room and I'm able to to control it most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> but it's funny you talking about, I you know, hope you're not sort of actually verbalizing it or moving your lips. So I, I do practice what I'm going to say in various things and I do actually move my lips. So people walking <laughs> past me in the street like, who is she? But then I guess these days with earpods, people just think I'm on a call. But um, yeah, I, well, I do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or you just pop them in and people think that anyway. So listen, we're going to talk about happiness because I know that's your real um, area of expertise. And one of the real reasons why I got you on is around this happiness at work. And it fits really nicely into the subject of confidence because the two probably go quite well. So if you're confident, you're happy. If you're happy, you're confident. Or that anyway, in, in a very simple equation, that's what I'm sort of thinking. How did you get into this whole realm of, of happiness at work and become a public speaker and people hiring you to do keynote speaking and then coaching as well? How did that all go, come about, Jessica? So it came about in sort of a pretty windy path. I started my career as a management consultant and I worked for a large Accenture, large management consulting firm doing organizational design work. And specifically, the stuff that, that my team worked on was around creativity and innovation. So we would go into these very Fortune 500 companies. So imagine Coca-Cola, American Express. I mean, I'm naming American companies, but you know, those kind of very blue chip um, organizations. And they would hire us to kind of do an audit of the culture to understand what was going on and how could they access more innovation, creativity, growth, all of those things. So as we would conduct the audit and sort of do our diagnostic and interview people and get into the organization, once you started peeling back the layers, often the question became, people were like, how can I do my job better? How can I get better at my job? And once you dug in there, the real question became, how do I have more happiness at work? How do I feel more fulfilled, more satisfied? Because if you're more fulfilled and satisfied at work, 
all of that other stuff just kind of falls into place, right? You're infinitely more motivated. You're infinitely more productive. You're more creative. You're a better problem solver. But it really always came down to that one question of how do I get happier at work? And for me, that has always been a personal area of interest for me, starting from when I went um, to college and I was an undergraduate. It was just something that I was personally very interested in. So when the work and the personal interests kind of collided, that's when I knew that that, you know, that's when I found my happiness at work. Right. So that was that's how I landed there. And so how do you how do you help people find happiness at work? Because Happiness is very subjective and you've talked a bit around some of the emotions associated with happiness, but where do you start with that, either as a, a corporate company wanting happiness in their people, but also an individual level? Where do you start? So I work in many different capacities when I work in organizations. I can work on a very individual level. And then we talk about very specific habits that each person can start to take on to start to generate more happiness and more fulfillment at work. I, I coach and I work with teams, right? We facilitate workshops for teams. And once we're talking about teams, we're talking a little bit more around trust psychological safety. And that really starts to build this idea of happiness at work. And then I go into an organization. And if I'm giving a big keynote, or if I'm working with an organization for a longer period of time, then we're really starting to talk about structures, processes, you know, the things that can facilitate all of those habits that the individuals and the teams can do. So that's, um, you know, it depends on the level. But the truth of the matter is the work that I do with people on a very individual level, on a coaching kind of level, really is very similar to what we put into place on an organizational level. It's just scaled. Happiness be given to you or does it have to be generated internally? And what comes first? It can't be completely externally generated, but there are things that can be put into place that can facilitate it and help it to grow. So it has to be happiness. So, you know, and happiness is such a loaded term. So I always say happiness, contentment, fulfillment, satisfaction, right? Because it's much more about this, at least the happiness that I am talking about is this long term sustainable happiness. It's not necessarily this feeling of, you know, giggling and laughing. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about a deep seated contentment. So it does have to come from yourself, but there does need to be some things in the environment that sort of allow it to happen, allow it to grow, right? So it's, they have to move in concert. But I would say that probably 60% of it needs to be, 70% of it needs to be internal and 30% of it from an external perspective. So I've got lots of questions and I hope they come out in the right order. But let's just talk about organizations at the moment because most of us navigate in that space. I say most of us, that's an assumption, but there'll be many people who are listening who work in businesses more than just for themselves. How, well, how, first of all, how can businesses generate or help create more happiness in the business? What are some of the, the things that you've seen done successfully? Right. So the first thing that needs to be done is that it needs to be the notion of workplace well-being needs to be made a priority, right? So there needs to be an acknowledgement from the leadership on the highest level that this is something that the organization values. This idea that we're going to create an environment 
where everybody where everybody's well-being is there's a business case for it we believe in it right it's going to generate more revenue for us so that has to be made a priority right from the outset so once you sort of get to that hurdle that we've established that it's a priority for the organization then there are things that need to be done in terms of kind of establishing this idea that people you know then we get really into the nitty-gritty so and, and stop me if I'm getting too specific, but then we really start to get into the nitty gritty. So it has to be around everybody needs to be rewarded. So salary in a fair, transparent way. Right. And and there's a lot of um, sort of controversy around money and happiness, but let's just leave it, you know, and I'm happy to, to kind of go and elaborate on that. But it, everybody needs to feel that they're being fairly paid. Right. So that's the first hurdle that needs to happen. The second thing that needs to happen is that people need to be recognized for their work and there need to be structures put in place for that recognition. Now, different organizations do this in different ways, right? Different teams will do it in different ways. Different leaders will do it in different ways. And this is something that is a specific to the organization and specific to the team leader. So some people want to be recognized in a very public kind of way, right? Some people want to be recognized. They want to know when it's going to happen. They know every quarter there are recognition or there's, you know, and I'm going to be very silly, but, you know, employee of the month, whatever it is. Some people need that. Other people just need a quick one-on-one conversation with their manager where they're recognized for having done something really well or rewarded in some way for having accomplished a goal. But it's, you know, it goes from making mental workplace well-being a priority and then it starts to be super specific. And it's around putting things in place where people feel that they are making progress, that there's a sense of purpose, that there's pride. You know, a lot of these kind of very specific things and it's very dependent upon each manager and how they want to do it. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. So then let's take it to the individual level in a business. And how, well, first of all, why is happiness at work important on an individual level? And then also, how can individuals working in this whole space of a business that maybe people don't have as much control over, how can they then generate their own happiness within some of the frameworks that you've talked about? Okay. So to answer your first question, why is happiness at work even something that we should be working towards? Well, first of all, the alternative sounds quite weak, right? So that's the first thing that I will say. Um, unhappiness as <laughs> sounds like this is not the way that we should be spending our time. But the truth of the matter is we do spend so much time at work. It seems like a wasted opportunity to not use it as an opportunity for development, for growth, for learning, for satisfaction. I mean, we spend a third of our lives at work. It should certainly be something that we enjoy. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be solely defined by our work, but it needs to be one segment of our life where we get a certain level of content. And aside from that, aside from the idea that we all deserve it, there's a lot of statistics around that when people are satisfied at work, happy at work, they are more productive, they are more creative, you know, all of those things. There are, there's significantly less turnover. They're more likely to recommend their organization to a friend. Um, there's less sick absences. There's less waste. There's less mistakes. You know, so, so on the one hand, it's in a very subjective way. Of course, we should all want to be happy at work. And then just purely from the data, it, you know, it's, it's, um, it just makes business sense, right? It's just really just cold, hard facts. So that was the first question. Can you remind me the second question? Because of course, I got all stuck in my... 
<laughs> so the second question, I nearly forgot it myself. So, so the second question was around how can people generate their own happiness? Because in many businesses, particularly large ones, you know, do people really have a sense of control over sure. their careers? But and navigating all the complexities of business, how can people and women really, because that's the the theme of this podcast, now how can they generate their own happiness within the corporate yeah. environment? So, so much of what I talk about and so much what I, so much of what I believe in is having the agency over yourself to kind of um, create your own destiny, for lack of a better word. So everything that you're saying is super important to me. So, so many of the happiness habits or happiness strategies that I speak to is all stuff that is fully within your control. If you're lucky enough to have a manager who also believes in this or to have a leader who also believes in it, great even more happiness to be had. But I really start from a very individual level. So everything that I'm going to say right now is completely within your control and is is independent of whether you have a wonderful manager, a toxic manager, whatever it is. Okay. So the first thing that I tell people that they need to do is this. People, uh, we spend a lot of time at work talking about what are our weaknesses, right? What are the things that we need to get better at? I think we need to flip that on its head. We need to really focus on the stuff that we are good at. We need to focus on our strengths, the stuff that brings us joy, the stuff that we really love to do. And you need to design your day, design your week, design your projects so that you are using your strengths and your talents. So instead of constantly kind of pushing yourself to be better and and overcome and no, let's talk about being better at the stuff that we're already great at so that we can actually enjoy it. So that's the first thing that I say. People need to be using their strengths every single day. The second one is this, and this is really very particular and very, um, very granular. Like this is really around how do you have a great day at work, right? How do you make every day a great day? And it is this. In order to have a great day at work, you need to have a feeling of accomplishment. You need to have a sense of progress. So everybody knows how this feels. When you are at work and you spent your entire day answering emails, going from meeting to meeting, whether it's Zoom meeting to meeting or in-person meeting to meeting, right? It's just this notion of you're just kind of going through, getting through every single thing. You, you're certainly busy, quote unquote, but do you ever feel that you've accomplished something? Do you feel that you've made progress, right? And at the end of those quote unquote busy days, you look back and you say, what on earth did I even do today? Right. So what I am saying is we need to have the sense of progress and accomplishment built into every day. And that has to be by design. So you need to create time in your day to work on something, whatever it is. There needs to be a goal and you need to feel that you are making progress towards that goal. So you need to have a sense of progress every single day. So those are two really good tips um, to get you started in terms of generating personal or individual happiness at work. So how do you personally then, Jessica, how do you measure your progress and your sense of accomplishment on one of those days where you're you're doing all the stuff? How do you personally do that then? So for me, it is really, I've really tapped into this notion of progress. And I know that for me, if I don't feel that I am making progress, that will actually start to really take a serious toll on me. So for me, I do that. I do time blocking. So I'm a person who's really good in the mornings. That's when I'm most productive. That's when I can do my deep thinking, writing work. So I build that into my day every single day. 
Now, some days I can do that for an hour. Some days I can do it for two hours. And some days I can do it for half an hour. But the truth is, so long as I can do it for a certain period of time, and then at the end of the week, I can look back and feel that I've made progress towards something, then I feel like, okay, we're moving forward. We're getting things done. That's how I measure it. So um, it's built into my schedule. Okay. So, um, TED Talk, let's talk about that because I've watched it. I watched it again today because um, I knew we were having going to have a chat, but also it's a really great talk. And I think I said to, Thank to you last time, it's really useful. Thank you. Just Thank go, you. everybody needs to go and watch it uh, and listen to it. But how did the TED Talk come about? So, okay, so this is actually very interesting. So in this idea of progress and this idea of this sense of accomplishment, last year I had made it my goal that I wanted to have a TEDx. It was, it was something that I wanted to do. So it was on my um, list of things that I wanted to get done within the year. And it's actually a job in and of itself to try to get a TEDx. So there are loads of them all over the world. Um, and you have to apply and go, you know, do the research, find the, the, find the, the talks. Each of them have themes. So you have to find the ones that, um, are, you know, that are sort of overlap with your own personal interests, or you have to design something that, that matches with their themes. But it took quite a long time. I applied to many, many, many. Some, you know, some worked out and I couldn't get there or for whatever reason, you know, I decided to not do this one and I picked this one. But, um, but that was one on my list of goals to be done. So that was how that happened. So you said two things actually. And one is goals. And then you've also said habits a couple of times. So I'm going to pick up on those and we'll come back to the TED talk. Goals. How important are they? For me, someone who's extremely type A, always been sort of an overachiever, striving human being for better or for worse, goals are essential for me. You know, I feel when I'm, when I feel I'm sort of languishing, that's a place where uh, things start to go downhill pretty quick. So I always have to feel that I'm challenging myself. I'm working to my potential. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm not even somebody, um, I mean, there are goals that I need to achieve and that I strive to achieve. But so long as I feel that I'm making moves towards the goal, I'm okay with that. But goals are very important to me. Have been since I've been, you know, for better or for worse, since I've been a child. <laughs> and so with goals, and let's just stick on this topic for the time being. Do you write them down? Do you craft them? Do you share them? Tell me your process then to bring them to life and to keep yeah. you tracking your progress. And I yeah. say it from the point that perhaps your approach can help people who are listening who perhaps sure. are not so good at setting goals. Sure. So I am someone that once I say it out loud is when I feel that I have a commitment to do it. So, and I need, I can't just say it out loud into a room, into a mess. You know, ideally I'm saying it to another human being. Um, so whether that's my best friend or whomever it is, but at the beginning of the year, I sort of have a ritual where what are the things that I want to get done this year? I write down the goals. And then one of my best friends, who's actually also an executive coach, we have a little pseudo session about what she wants to get done, what I want to get done, and we make a commitment. Um, and then we have periodic, aside from our normal things that we do when we're just kind of 
getting together and having fun. But we have like a six month meeting and we kind of look at the goals and see what needs to be reassessed and what hasn't been done and what needs to be done. Um, and then at the end of the year, we assess what we both did. So for me, it's very much about speaking it into existence because if it just lives in my head, it does, it takes some time to get from my head out of my mouth. You know, I sit with it for a little while. And then once I told her, it's going to get done because she's going to pester me until it's done. And if it's not done, we're going to talk about why it's not getting done. So yeah, so I'm very much someone who talks about it, gets it written. You know, I love taking pen to paper. I think that that brings things alive in a totally different way. Um, so that's how I do it. I love the sound of those sessions with your friend. They sound like such a good idea. <laughs> I need to find myself somebody who's going to keep me accountable like that. And we're just, yeah, she's um, fabulous. We can share goals. That sounds amazing. What a lovely friend you've got. So we'll also talk about habits because you've mentioned that a couple of times. And I imagine, well, I'll make the assumption that being happy can be classed as a habit. You know, you can choose it and you need to practice it. So habits, tell me a bit about that. How is your, how does your work is framed around habits? So my belief is that happiness takes work and the work is in the habits, right? So I feel that it's very tangible and it's very specific. So once you learn what you need to do, then you practice what you need to do. That's when you can start to actually move the needle on happiness. So for me, habits are essential to happiness. And I think what's interesting about habits when it comes to happiness is, you know, there's a big conversation that some people are born happier than others, right? Some people are just sort of malcontents and other people just seem to be like exuding joy at every moment. And there's a whole bunch of studies about it. A certain amount of happiness is sort of predetermined by your genes. But it's as time goes on, we're finding that it's less and less. But the truth of the matter is those people who are sort of predisposed to the joy, right? You know those people. They practice all those habits naturally. They do all of the habits just like, you know, it's just who they are and the way they live. So maybe they're naturally very grateful and there are people who kind of practice gratitude on a regular basis or there are people who believe, I mean, there's so many happiness habits, but or there are people who you know, do physical exercise every single day because they genuinely enjoy it. Or there are people who believe like, if I don't sleep, I will not function. Like these are all kind of very basic habits that drive your happiness. But what's interesting, I always think it's interesting when you look at the people that are sort of predisposed to joy, they're doing the habits naturally that all of us other people have to kind of work at. So what habits do I do? Um, and I mentioned a bunch of these, the TEDx because they're my personal favorite happy habits. And I always say that my research around happiness is almost like a smorgasbord. You know, it's like a buffet. You take what works for you. There's a whole bunch of options. And maybe you want, you know, one dessert, one veggie and one pasta. Or maybe you want all the pastas, which is totally fine. But you have to take what works for you. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that everybody can do. But not everything works for everybody. Like I personally, meditation is a wonderful tool, right? It absolutely 100% works. I am a terrible meditator. I cannot meditate to save my life. I can do like guided meditations when somebody's helping me, but it's been a very difficult habit for me to um, institute in my life. So that's like a great example of the smorgasbord of happiness. Okay, so what works for me? I love to do a joy journal. So that for me is at the end of the day, I write down three things that brought me happiness that day. 
really simple stuff. Um, I like, again, I like to do pen to paper because I think it brings it alive in a different way. But if you're somebody who wants to do it in your phone, that works fine too. But what I love about that is it forces me to think about the good stuff that happened, right? I, I really, sometimes it's, it's, it's a struggle, but it forces me to come up with the good stuff. Um, and then what I really love about it is at the end of the week or the end of the month or when I'm like kind of strumming through the journal, I can relive all the good stuff that happened. So it makes me happy again. So I love doing a joy journal. That makes me thrilled. I'm someone who really believes in finding happiness at work. My work is hugely important to me. So I love to do all the things that I said to you around finding happiness at work. Those are very, very important to me. And I'm really intentional and deliberate about it. And I'm always trying to add stuff to kind of generate more happiness at work. So those two, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, and then I firmly believe in the power of friends. And I, in fact, mentioned it, right? So my friend, in, just in terms of goals. So, I, and that is a happiness habit only because it's something that we need to be intentional about. Um, and I think it's really easy for all of us to kind of, you know, at the end of the day, you're exhausted, you're tired. It's the last thing you want to do. But friendship in any way that you can do it, social connection in any way that you can do it. I mean, this is in every single study across the board. That is a key to happiness. I'm just going to get back to when you were talking about your smorgasbord um, and your buffet of, of foods as the um, analogy for finding happiness. And you said, take what works for you. And I guess it got me thinking about, you actually do need confidence to be able to stand up for that and say, this works for me. It might not work for you, but I'm going to do me anyway. I mean, with your clients, do you find that, that sometimes people can be swayed into thinking this is going to make them happy because all the mates are doing it, or this is what's going on in the business right now. Everybody's focusing on this. Well, I suppose this one thing is, do you find that to be true, that people can get sure. swept up in that whole peer pressure or sure. friend pressure? Sure. And then how can people really carve their own path in that space? Yes. No, I think you're exactly right. I think that you have to have, you have to know yourself well enough and believe in yourself enough to trust yourself to say, this is what works for me. And this isn't what works for me. Right. I think that we're living in a moment right now where self care and self love is this huge mantra. Um, and I'm in no way knocking it and I absolutely believe it. But I also think that maybe we need to, um, rethink the trend, right? Do what works for you. I don't know if, if that's not, you know, self care and kind of doing whatever that means to you is great. But my, you know, for me, and getting back to this idea of, um, you know, choosing what works for you. For me, being with friends and doing things for other people, that generates way more happiness than all of that self-care, which is of the moment, right? A huge mega trend. Um, so that's where I absolutely believe that you have to be able to stand up and say what works for you and what doesn't. And I think that women struggle with that a lot. A lot, especially in larger organizations where maybe they're not so necessarily, you know, where the representation is not, you know, maybe they're one of the few women in the room. Maybe their voice isn't heard in the way that they would like it to be. Um, and I think that that is a big part of once you find that sense of fulfillment and contentment, I think that drives the happiness, right? Because then you're able to tackle all of those other problems. So I agree with you 100%. Right, we're going to do a loop back to TEDx. It's a bit of a long journey, but we got there eventually. So tell me about 
the actual event headache and that moment before you step on the stage because I've I've spoken to a number of, of women on this podcast who've done TEDx's and they all have a very similar yeah. story to, to share so I want to hear how it went for you so um so my TEDx I did it in Toronto Canada so I had to travel to do it which is totally fine which I think most people have to travel to do their TEDx so that's great um, and the day before we did a dry run and I saw sort of that big red dot on the stage and I was like, oh my God, you know, when you see that, it sort of really starts to kick in as a reality. So, um, so as we started at, in the beginning of the podcast, when we said, you know, feelings of nervousness and anxiousness, yes. So I get very nervous before any time that I speak, let alone this one, which was hugely important to me and was a goal that I had had for a really long time. So in addition to sort of having the rehearsal and acknowledging the red dot and kind of getting to a place where I, you know, I always say I need to find my Zen. So like people can't really talk to me. I need to go off like in a corner. I need to pace. I need to just talk to myself. You know, I need to run through my talk in my head, but I need, I need to find my Zen because my, um, my nervousness and my anxiousness can sort of consume me in the moment. So, um, so if that answers the question, the red dot was hugely intimidating. I was hugely excited, but I needed to find my Zen and my, you know, but once I actually stepped on the stage and sort of, um, you really do like feel, you know, you step on the red dot and you kind of like, I was like, wow, this is really happening. And I kind of took it in and enjoyed it in a really wonderful kind of way. So it was actually a lot of fun. Once I got over all those, you know, nervousnesses and all that stuff. And have you watched it back? So it's very, very, very painful to hear the sound of your own voice. It is just a torture session. So I've watched it, but I can't seem to get through the entire thing. You know, and then of course I nitpick on all the things that I do. Oh, geez, why are my hands like that? And, and I, I gesticulate like nobody's business. So, so I tried, but I haven't gotten through the whole thing. So I think when I first met you, I talked about your TEDx and how I thought your gesticulation was a really good way of enhancing your story. Uh, but it's funny how you sort of noticed that as a, perhaps a negative, but actually for me, it brings the energy of you to life. Have you had formal public speaking training? Um, no, but I've been public, I've like been doing public speaking for the greater part of my career. So nothing formal, but I've certainly done it a lot. So, and I've watched myself on video. So I, I know what, I know what I do. I know what my ticks are. It doesn't mean I'm always able to overcome them, but I'm, I'm keenly aware. So what's your one piece of advice? Well, it doesn't have to be one, but what's your advice for women who are perhaps in the work, either their own business or the world of work, whether that's small, big, doesn't matter. And they're thinking, actually, I don't get a deep sense of happiness in what I'm doing, who I am. What would you advise them to do? So I work with women like this all the time, right? And I think the most important thing to do at that moment, when maybe you're not, you know, let's say, it could be that you're genuinely sort of in a dark place and you're miserable and you sort of know that, which that in and of itself could be a gift because you know you're in the wrong place in that moment, right? But unfortunately, I think more people sort of live in that middle ground where they're just kind of blocked, right? So it's okay. You know, nothing's terribly bad, but they know it, this is not what it should be or what it could be or what they want it to be. So the first thing that I tell people to do is to get really quiet and just kind of allow themselves to imagine what would be 
the thing that would bring them happiness? What is the thing that when they were a child, they really wanted to do? Because oftentimes when you go back to that place of when you're a kid, you know, that's a very pure, um, unadulterated, not ruined by society or by pressures or anything like that. Right. So and, and it could be an absolutely ridiculous kind of thing. Like when you were a kid, you wanted to be a ballerina, whatever it is. But what we can then do is once you get quiet and really kind of think about, okay, what was it about being a ballerina that really made you happy? Then you can start to kind of excavate where you need to go. But I think it begins with getting quiet. And then it, and then it, it, and then it's about kind of going back in your brain and thinking about what you wanted to do as a kid. What were the things that brought you pure happiness as a child? So that's usually, that's usually what those coaching sessions look like with a bit of pushing, you know, to kind of, you know, we take kind of the, the childlike things and make them more realistic and pragmatic. I love that going back and remembering when you're a child because you're so right. Things are so pure and so easy then you don't have many commitments. So what do you say to those people who are like, Jessica, you can't be happy all the time. It's just not possible. You can't be happy. No, no, you absolutely can't be happy all the time. And I would never say that you are. Um, I think that that's exactly what I was saying when I was saying that. What I talk about is this feeling, this deep-seated feeling of contentment, lasting happiness. It's not about being happy all the time. Um, and it's about acknowledging those negative emotions and kind of understanding how to move through them, but still knowing that what your foundation is, is this, is this feeling of fulfillment and satisfaction. So it's not about being happy all the time, but it's this overall feeling of contentment. So in your line of work, and then this all the wider research around happiness and at work, what do you think is the next big thing in, in this, this sort of realm of happiness and fulfillment at work? Well, I think that we're we're going into, um, or we've been waiting in, and we're now sort of in it. This whole notion of remote work, hybrid work, right? All of this is now a reality. So, I, there are some people who have been working remotely for quite a while, but before COVID, that was kind of unusual, unconventional. But now it's completely normal. Right. So I think what we're moving into now is we've established and the research has established that people love the flexibility, right? The flexibility brings people happiness, joy, contentment. But there are things that are going to be missing, whether it's hybrid or remote. And we need to figure out how to compensate for those things or not even necessarily compensate, but how to design for it. You know, when, when COVID struck, we all kind of just started working from home, doing everything that we used to do at the office. We just did it from home, right? Whether it was a dining room table or you actually had a home office, but it was sort of like a continuation of what was just in a different physical location. And I think that we're doing, we're continuing to do that a little bit, especially with hybrid. It's like, okay, now you work here. Now you work there. Well, no, I think we need to really kind of understand the difference design for it. And that's where I think um, the next movement is with happiness at work. I also think there's a whole bunch around artificial intelligence, which I do not even remotely understand, but there's probably stuff there as well. <laughs> well, you made me really think about when you say this whole sort of flexibility of work brings people joy. And yet on one hand, and I do believe that, and I, I believe that not just for myself, but I mean, I work in HR, so I've seen the the benefits that having flexible working and having 
flexible practices brings to people. It brings genuine happiness and relief and yeah. all yeah. those things. But then on the other hand, there's, there is business, there are businesses who are now saying, we want you back full time. I can't remember the names. I could probably yeah. name and shame one of them. What, where do you stand on that one? Because you work with some of these companies. Yeah. So they're saying, no, you know, we want people back in because it's, you know, collaboration and cooperation, all these yeah. sort of big words. But yet, you know. Well, it's interesting the companies that have been saying it too, because it's, you know, Google says it, you know, these kind of very, uh, you would think forward thinking companies that are, are having sort of this archaic view of we must have return to office, we must have, um, you know, uh, physical presence in the office, you're going to be rewarded, you know, it's going to be part of your performance reviews. Um, I think it's, I think it's insane. I have to say, I think that it's, I think what needs to be done at that point is we need to really understand why they're saying that. So why, why, why do we need to? And that goes back to even what I was saying in the beginning when I was, when I worked in management consulting and we would go into organizations and we would try to understand what was going on. For me, that's a big question. I need to understand why. So Goldman Sachs, you know, all of these kind of financial services firms are also insisting on people to be back in the office full time. Now I'm sure they have a host of reasons as to why. I'm sure Google and Apple and Facebook or Meta also have a host of reasons why. I think we need to understand understand what's really behind the policy and then we can effectively design for it. So if it's purely for, you know, FaceTime, you know what I mean? Like we need you in the office. We need to look like we're a bustling place, whatever it is, that's going to be quickly um, trashed because no one, you know, no, uh, there's no authenticity there. That's silly. And no, it's like that ship has sailed. You know, we are not there anymore. Um, but if we understand really why, and I do believe in the whole notion of collaboration and creativity, and there is absolutely work that needs to be done together. And I also think that people need connection in the office. I think that people need to feel connected to their colleagues. So I think that that is an absolutely viable reason why people need to be together at times, but it needs to be for the right reasons. I, was, I mean, I'm, I'm an avid reader and I've been reading a lot of, uh, recently about this whole sort of social connection and humans need, like there's this, like such a yeah. need to connect with people and be around people. So that I totally understand that that's the principles behind the return to work that, uh, and yeah, I'm all for that. But if, like you say, if they're just because we want to look cool or we want to look like a bus exactly. company, you know, keep your BS, that's not going to make the majority yeah. of your employees happy. And people will figure that out very quickly. Yeah, I totally agree. So Jessica, how can people find you either? They, they're like, oh, you, you want Jessica to come into our organization and, and work with us or people are there, uh, people are listening and they think actually some one-to-one time with you would be just the best. Yes. That would how can be people fabulous. find you? Okay. So everything, all my information lives on my website. So www.jessicaweiss.com. I am also the Jessica Weiss on Instagram, where I am a very much a newbie on Instagram. So the whole social media thing is, is a, you know, is sort of, I'm a newbie. Let's just put it that way. So I'm the Jessica Weiss on Instagram. I am the Jessica Weiss on TikTok. Um, and then all the other information lives on my website. So if you need to get me, you can just email me straight from there. So and, and my TEDx is called um, Happiness. It's an inside job. So if anybody wants to look at it, you know, you can just sort of Google it and it will pop up on YouTube. And I'll put all those details in the show notes so people can just dive on in and they can connect directly to any of those things that Jessica's just said. Well, listen, Jessica, thank you so much for being on Winning Confidence and for sharing not only your own personal stories, but 
so much around happiness and at work and some of those tools and techniques that people can find and use to generate that happiness, not just in their life, but also in work as well. So thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. This was really fun. It was a great conversation. 